Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Six PM. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. Terms apply. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Sex trying to get loose. He'll fire. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! A thunderous dunk! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single chat for phone chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now live via Zoom is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? My kingdom for some injury luck, Justin. My God! <laughs> it's ridiculous! You know what? It's not a great feeling where the Cavs get what I would argue to be their most significant win of the season over the Toronto Raptors, given the the implications from a tiebreaker standpoint, the race to stay out of the play-in. And what did it cost? Everything. Because Jared Allen has been ruled out indefinitely with a fractured left middle finger. Um, you know what? Uh, I, I understand some of that pain as I got to use my middle finger a fair bit over the weekend as the Cavs played the Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Raptors, who seemed hell-bent on beating the hell out of the Cavs. Um, it, it was, you know what? Overall, I felt it was a very encouraging weekend. But then to get that gut punch with the Jared Allen news is definitely something that, that is weighing on me right now. It's just like, come on, man. Like, they, things are finally, you know, we. I felt like they really found their mojo um, mm-hmm. the last two games. It's funny, I you know, I know that fans tend to play the results, not the process, and I can be just as bad about that. I was surprised that folks were so down after the Philly loss because I was like, oh, there's there's my guys. Yeah, you know, it felt it felt good again. Um, and to, to, you to know, steal your analogy, it was there you are, Peter. Like it, there it you was, are, Peter. That that felt like the the Cavs were were getting back at it. And, and sorry to cut you off there, but I, I really did feel like they discovered their mojo, uh, coming out strong um, with with a very good first quarter performance, which was one of the keys that we had kind of highlighted. And ultimately, it was a, a frustrating loss. But that that's a good Philadelphia team. And, and I thought that the Cavs represented themselves very well in that game. Yeah, sometimes you lose road games um, 
uh, against the the biggest uh, grifting team in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just the way it goes sometimes. Where you know they got they got whistles. Cavs uh, Darius Garland didn't draw a single shooting foul despite getting pushed and pulled all game. Mm-hmm. Um, Niang and Maxi hit double digit threes, which is like <laughs> you know like obviously Niang is a good shooter, but like you know you hope for some luck there. I just felt like they just you know like they. And then Embiid was amazing, as he often is, uh, and Harden also scored well in isolation down the stretch, and they lost, and that happens. But they felt like they had that verve, like they were playing with that passion again. And then I thought it really did carry over to the Toronto game. Toronto will never go away. That's just not what they do. That's not in their DNA as a team. And that version of Toronto is, uh, without Van Vliet out there, is... You know, while obviously Van Vliet's, you know, one of their best, their best scorer, mm-hmm. um, they, they, what they lose in that, they just add in more size and switchiness and jumping passing lanes and harassing people defensively. And, you know, it's a, it, I thought the Cavs acquitted themselves super, super well in that game. And as a result, while I'm annoyed about Jared Allen getting hurt, I'm not crushed by it mm-hmm. uh, because I was like, okay, Mobley had, one of his best games of the season and, and all the ways he needed to, uh, you know, I felt like his impact had really fallen off as of late. Um, just sure handed rebounds, amazing defensive help, um, and, and on ball defense, uh, at times I, I was, I was very, very pleased with his performance and like getting that, that tiebreaker against Toronto oh was just God. so it's- important, Justin. It's so significant, and I, I think Mobley uh, having that performance on national television, I think that probably goes a long way when it comes to determining this Rookie of the Year race because as good as he's been all season, sometimes those kind of late signature moments really factor into that decision-making process, and the Raptors broadcast gave me a bit of a chuckle because they, they were talking about how the, their numbers are so identical. This should really be a, a year where the Rookie of the Year, there's two winners again. Uh, let's run that back which you know ignores the entire defensive end of the floor uh as scotty barnes gets blown by by dean wade and and duncan on the entire city of toronto um but you you know it it was nice to see mobley step up in that way but before we get into that game because i think there's a lot to discuss with that raptors win i need to talk to you about the philadelphia 76ers because i i think i have found a true one box you justin (laughs) i i think i i have I think I've found a true foil in the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think there's a team I hate more, and I don't know if there's a team that I've ever hated more. At least the Golden State Warriors would go out there and actually earn it. It it was frustrating that they would have a moving screen every now and then, and that would help leave their shooters wide open. But that is a completely different dynamic than you're playing 24 seconds of great defense, and James Harden decides, I'm just going to throw my arms into you. And at least Joel Embiid legitimately gets fouled. Like, it's annoying that he griffs, but he's so physically dominant and tough to deal with that you you can live with it, right? Like, he, he's going to get beat up on every play, same way LeBron used to back in the day. You're going to get some acting. You're going to get a sell job because they're just so physical. But for Harden to get those calls, for Maxi to get those calls, like, it, it is so frustrating, especially when you have, in comparison, Darius Garland, who shoots 24% of his shots at the rim. Another almost 20% in that floater range. He gets everywhere he wants to on the court, and he doesn't get the the free throw rate 
rate that you would expect for that. That is just such a frustrating dynamic and something I, I understand that I sound like a loser as I'm ranting about this. I, I know how it looks. I know Philly probably doesn't even think about the cows. Philly fans have no hate in their heart. It doesn't need to be a mutual thing. I legitimately cannot stand that team, and I am rooting for their failure. I'm glad you got it off your chest, Justin. And I, I feel knew better. This, you, I, I knew you were going to take the loss hard because you have doubled and tripled down on uh, on Philly's failure. Has did the game change your mind at all about that team? You you said first round out. Have have, have you changed your mind a little? Because you have to at least consider I, that you might have been. I didn't. I didn't predict that. that I didn't day. predict a first round out. I, I said it is possible that the team could lose in the first round. I was not predicting a first round out. Let's be clear. We can run back the tape on that. I'm fine with that. I would I'm, not be I might surprised. Need to run back the tape. Please, please run back because I, I might legitimately be wrong, and you can laugh at me for that. Uh, I, I actually felt pretty good about it because I felt that was one of Evan Mobley's worst games of the year, which actually made me feel good when he bounced back in an even bigger game against Toronto with all that pressure and delivered in the way that he did. Um, obviously, you're missing Karis Levert. That matters. No Rondo. That matters. And I, I thought. Like, if this was a seven-game series, the Cavs are now down 0-2 with both games being in Philly, and you're just kind of hoping that you hold serve, right? Like, that is what you would expect from a playoff series. You'd also expect in a playoff series that the games get called a little bit differently. I thought the three-big lineup looked really good in Philadelphia. And it's frustrating for me when you look at this upcoming schedule. If we assume that Jared Allen, let's say, misses March, and he's back for April. Typically, uh, finger fractures, you're, you're looking at maybe around three weeks. I know uh, Larry Nance last year had a, a finger fracture. He had surgery on it and was a four- to six-week timeline. But let's just say, for simplicity's sake, he's out for March. It's frustrating that you don't get that showcase against Philadelphia with Jared Allen in the lineup. Because I, I really want some of these measuring stick opportunities. But... I, I still feel pretty good. Like, I, I would pick the Sixers in the series, but I, I think there's enough there that I, I feel somewhat optimistic about the Cavs' ability to at least hang around in a series with them. Yeah, they, they've got some They've got some stuff in their favor. they got Okora to throw at Harden, and he's as, about as good of an on-ball defender for a guy like Harden as you'll find. Um, they've got bigs to throw at Embiid and help to throw at Embiid. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Like when he spins baseline, a double just doesn't matter to him. It's yeah. crazy. It's very Dirk esque. I mean, like obviously Dirk's you know the best ever to do those kinds of shots, but like you know, there's just something so special and impossible about it <laughs> that is like it's pretty awe inspiring. I don't know, man. I just feel like the Embiid I respect. Embiid I respect. Yeah, uh, I, of course. It's, it's hardened that I I don't respect. And you know what? Let's give a big thank you to Masai Ujiri. I think it's very important that we do this because Toronto, like Cleveland, is better than their record. I think both of those teams are better than their record. Um, They've gone through tons of injury issues. They were in a very similar situation to the Cavs down Van Vliet and OG Ananobi, who is out with a fractured finger. Two-week timeline for him, by the way, for those that are interested. And the Cavs, obviously, you only get one quarter out Jared Allen. You're missing Karis LeVert. You're missing Rajon Rondo. Both teams were down. But Toronto would be so much scarier moving forward if the Raptors just said, yes, we will trade Kyle Lowry for Tyrese Maxey. Because at the deadline last year, they had reported that Tyrese Maxey was available in those discussions. And that would have made Toronto's core horrifying if they had him. Uh, They were holding out. Can I tell you something about Maxey? 
go ahead. When I watch when I watch that guy, I just think like how can you not like at least a little bit believe in Colin Sexton on a really good team? I I mean, you're you're preaching in the choir here. Like the like I, I think I, that's I actually a feel, really good point. I I hadn't thought of that. Like I just see him getting to just be an attacker against destabilized defenses and be the third or fourth person that you're worrying about on a possession. You go, seems like a pretty good life. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I just, I just, I just, that's, I just watched that entire game watching Maxi absolutely cook the Cavs going, yeah, this could be fun for Colin. Obviously there are some mitigating factors that make things different. Mm-hmm. James Harden being a six, five point guard on offense that can guard twos and threes. Um, you know, whereas Darius is six one and really needs to be guarding point guards or complete non-threatening wings, uh, especially in high leverage situations. I get it that it's not apples to apples here, mm-hmm. but like just offensively, yeah, I, I I think it's hard not to see. I think it's hard not to see that. Yeah, well, I I got to give you credit here, Carter, because I was grouchy after that Philly game, and I was grouchy after the Jared Allen news. And you found another angle that I hadn't approached when it comes to kind of harnessing how grumpy I am today, because I'm just frustrated, man. Like, it is unbelievable that we've had back-to-back years with this kind of level of injury luck. Like, it it is absolutely unbelievable. It's all these kind of random injuries that just seem to pop up. The difference between last year and this year is the Cavs are actually able to go out there and overcome that. And some of that's experience, some of that's better roster construction. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, but it's really, really frustrating that we we haven't got that sustained taste of what this team could be. Because, and, and I saw you tweet this out, but this is without a doubt in my mind a 50 win team if they were had normal injury luck this season. Yeah, let alone bad, good injury luck, but just yeah. not falling off a cliff. You know, down entire position groups at a time now. You could argue this position group is a little self-inflicted because Jarrett's really the only rotational center on the on the team. That's true. Boy, boy, I I had a bad thought. I was like, boy, would have been nice to extend that QO to Hartenstein last year. Oh, you yeah. know. Um, but you know, he, what are you he, he was do? definitely looking to to hang around, yeah. and you will get playing time if everybody's hurt. That that's yeah. that's when you will get time. I, I I think that probably would have been a tough sell for him. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he ended up completely, he didn't have a roster through camp. So, yeah. uh, you know, either way, um, you know, it was just one of those things where, like, yeah, it is a little unfortunate that they've lost entire position groups. But I will say, like, I'm actually a little less grumpy than you, which is a rarity just from the perspective of my biggest fear was falling into the play-in, having a bad night, and having the season end, you yeah. know, um, uh, or two bad nights, you know, whatever it is. Um, cause I don't think they can really fall down to, to nine unless they, you know, cataclysmically exploded. And um, at this point, that's basically, that's tough to comprehend because both Brooklyn and Charlotte have six losses more than the Cavs right now, which with 18 yeah, and games if, if left, they were that's, playing, that's what, yeah. I mean, if either team was playing great, maybe, but Brooklyn has a losing record right now. I mean, yeah. so ultimately like my biggest fear seems very avoidable now, mm-hmm. um, even with Allen down. I thought five was optimistic. The schedule's tough. They're reintegrating so many pieces. Okay, you know, maybe Hunter's chance at a Chicago series in the first round. But I just feel like based on the way the last two, three weeks have gone, that really what I want, my my goals kind of adjusted to 
let's just duck that plan. I do yep. not want to be in the plan. And they're, uh, they have a functional four-game lead on Toronto. Obviously, they're only up three in the standings, but now hold the tiebreaker. Yep. And ultimately, with Toronto's pretty tough stretch coming up, it's going to be really hard for them to catch the Cavs. And mm-hmm. the Cavs, I feel like the ball is back in the Cavs' court a little bit, where yeah. it's like, hey, just just play good basketball. Win, win, a, win a game or two you shouldn't. Don't lose games you, 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 that you shouldn't win. Yeah. Or that you shouldn't lose, and you're going to lock in a playoff spot. And hell, maybe Boston stumbles a little bit, loses a little mojo, and you can sne- you can catch them on the five anyway. I just think, like, ultimately, the disaster seems to have been abated a little bit. And obviously, that there's no rule saying Toronto can't catch them, but in the end, I just feel like, okay, we're going to get to see them try some stuff out. This is going to be such a fun stretch of basketball to me from an evaluation perspective, Justin, we're going to get to see Evan Mobley full-time at the five in games that really matter. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Karras and Okoro probably playing on the wings together. Yeah. And I just think that there's a lot of evaluation that's going to be done and a lot of learning to be done. Like, sure. Would you love to hit the stretch run of your season? Having all the answers in, in pocket already. Sure. But we already were integrating a new player in Karis, and now we're going to get to see him in an environment that's a little more spaced. And, like, how's that going to feel, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I, I think the win over Toronto is really, really significant because, as you mentioned, it's a functional four-game lead on them in the standings. You still have one more game against Toronto left this season, and that's a good chance to, to kind of bury them and put them away, even if you don't have Jared Allen. Um, but Toronto still has a West Coast trip left. The Cavs don't play another road game against the West this season. Uh, I think that's a big advantage. The Cavs, 10 of their next 18 games, or their last 18 games, come against teams with the worst record than them in the standings. Uh, They have 10 games at home. Like, it's... It's very frustrating to go throughout this stretch without Jared Allen. Uh, we don't know if Darius Garland is going to have any other maintenance games down the stretch. Like there, There's still a lot of questions left, but having this kind of lead over Toronto now, I, I think, is really, really significant. Um, them losing to Detroit and Orlando, that matters. Toronto's going through injury luck of their own. As I mentioned, OG Ananobi has that finger fracture that's... Uh, going to keep him out for two weeks uh fred van vliet's dealing with norse knee soreness oh my goodness did i botch that uh and malachi flynn now is hurt because he went from not playing at all to playing 38 minutes a night and, and strained his hamstring like this they're they're in a very similar boat to us and i i think avoiding the play-in is absolutely the most important thing uh those two games against chicago are going to be really significant because chicago plays uh philadelphia tonight and assuming they lose that which i, I would probably Guess they will, especially if Vucevic is out. Lost with a, four in a row. Yeah, and, and Vucevic is now out with a, a hamstring injury, I believe. Um, they're only a game up on the Cavs in, in the standings with two games left against Cleveland. So I, I think that this is a really, really interesting time. Um, but before we get into kind of standings talk any further, I do want to kind of touch on the Toronto game because I thought it was really interesting. And it's unfortunate, but I think we saw in this game the impact that Jared Allen has. Because with Fred Van Vliet out, all of a sudden you are going from Garland being guarded by someone that's 5'11 to a 6'9 Scotty Barnes. And everybody on the court basically was 6'9. And they were running a box and one. And there wasn't anybody to set screens, to free up Garland, to, to free up other ball handlers. 
And as frustrating as the turnovers were in that game, I thought it was a really good test uh, to play a team that is that physical, that, that was beating the hell out of them, that was trapping in interesting ways and doing all the weird Nick Nurse defensive stuff that they're known to do. And to see the Cavs, you know, kind of weather multiple runs and, and find a way to, to come away with the victory. I thought it was a, a good character win against a frustrating try-hard team. Yeah, I thought it was an awesome win. I, I know that Toronto made it interesting at the end, and that that was stressful. This team is up double digits most of the game, yep. um, and I thought that they played a hell of a game offensively. I thought Darius, who we've been critical of how he handles playing against size and athleticism, I thought that dude was turning corners like an mf'er. Yep. Like he was, like he was, he was able to seal and turn. Yeah. Uh, on a lot of these Toronto wings that are great point of attack perimeter defenders. And then it was all interior passing. Like it wasn't a, a gaudy scoring night for him, but it didn't have to be. I thought he really orchestrated the offense really, really well. Yep. Um, I thought that Lowry in the first half was absolutely bananas. I mean, <laughs> finishing strong, uh, you know, Take, using, using the basket. His, yep. Yeah, cutting. Um, I thought he was he was excellent, excellent, excellent in that game. I thought I thought Isaac had uh, some some nice moments here and there. Mm-hmm. I, I ultimately I just thought the team really showed out. I thought and Jetty Jetty continues to be a revelation as a, as a bench scorer that just throws teams off. Does feel like he's just always going to be more of a first half player, especially yeah. when he's dribbling. Before defense is like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna enough of this yep. uh, as, as a pick and roll ball handler. But I thought he was I thought he was excellent and and had a lot of juice. Honestly, if you're I looking for positive team... trends from recent play, it's Jetty Osman and Kevin Love kind of rediscovering their mojo because that's going to be yeah. really really important because they're going to need playmaking from Jetty Osman. They're going to need the shot making that both of them provide because they're not going to be able to lean on their defense in the same way. I, I think. The common perception is that the floor is going to open up and it's going to be more offensive without Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together. But when you look at the offensive rating throughout the year with Mobley on and Allen off, it barely goes up. Like it's not even one point per hundred possessions. Uh, I I do think to some extent you might have a little bit more space, but I, I don't think it's going to be the offensive boom that a lot of people expect going away from the the two center lineup essentially. It's it's just a different lineup, you know. Ultimately, what I see, and we should just talk about what lineup we think they should start, what lineup they will start. Yeah. Because I think the lineup that I think when people are talking about that offensive boom, first off, they haven't had Karis LeVert all mm-hmm. season, so yep. I think the stats are probably not super reflective of their eventual on court product. If poor Karis ever can get out there, <laughs> um, you know. But like, I think that ultimately, you look at that and. What those lineups can do if they start a Garland, Okoro, Lavert, Marketing, Mobley lineup mm-hmm. is you can have Okoro out there as your lockdown point of attack defender and have two ball handlers on the floor. That is something they haven't really been able to do very much this year. And as good as Marketing was in that last game, like he's still not a ball handler. He's not a creator. He's not a pick and roll kind of guy. So that is, I think, why people might be a little eager to see that. There's also a little extra clarity in in Mobley's role. Will Norman in the chat 
uh, you know, just was asking that question. Like instead of getting the ball at the top of the arc, should be getting some some dive reps. There were a lot of nice reps for Mobley uh, as the as the outlet uh, when they trapped Darius yeah. at the point of attack. Teams are going to not do that, by the way, in the playoffs. It's not going to work. Like I mm. think they're going to bail on that the second they actually start watching tape because trapping Darius with Mobley as the release valve is not a good idea. No, but. With all that said, I, I just think like we're gonna get to see some really interesting stuff. Who do you think they who do you think they should start and who do you think they will start? Um, so I, I think the lineup you brought up is very interesting. I, I think that's what I would go with, with having Lavert and Okoro out there together with Markin and Mobley. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they use a 10-day contract on someone like a Cody Zeller or Willie Cauley-Stein that, that are available in free agency, because I would like I think to Zeller is out for the year. <clears throat> okay, well, probably not Cody Zeller. I, I mean, think he, he I think he had knee surgery or something a couple months ago. I don't think he's available. Okay, well, that's helpful. I, I mean, I he, had would, that he would fit in, though. Like, having someone yeah, that, awesome. that is out for the year would be, a, you know, just total culture fit because that seems to be the way it's going right now. We're, we're just, uh, we're a hospital ward anyways. But, yeah, it may, maybe someone like Willie Cauley-Stein or, you know, just a body. Someone In that can go out there in mean minutes. Uh, because, and, and I know everyone's going to focus on, like, okay, are you bringing in help or who's the backup going to be? But really, it's going to be on Mobley to step up in those minutes. Do you think uh, they'll start Mobley or do you think they'll start what, uh Ed Davis, just to protect Mobley's body a little bit, at least at the beginning of games, start of first, start of the third. It might be matchup dependent. Like, it, it may really depend. Like, a, when you play that game against Philadelphia, assuming that Jared Allen is out for that game, um, I, I think that would be a game where you'd want to get Ed Davis out there and maybe even put Lowry um, a little bit on, on Embiid at times with, with help, but a, there's not a good answer there. Like, if Jared Allen is out for March, which, again, we're just doing that for simplicity, we don't have a timeline yet, um, the games that really kind of concern me are the games against Philly, uh, the games against Denver, because uh, Nikola Jokic, and Miami, because... The, the Miami one's a little different because Miami is going to trap the hell out of Garland uh, the same way that Toronto did. And I, I think without the screen setting of Jaron Allen, that's going to be an issue. But to get back to your question of who do I think will start, um, I, I do think that I, maybe this is just me being hopeful that kind of the, the lineup that we presented there when Lavert is back uh, of Garland, Okoro, and Lavert, what, whatever combo you want to label them on, on the wing, I think that that's the right move because I think you're going to need to lean in on having a little bit more offense on the floor. I think you're going to need to kind of outgun some of these teams. Uh, not that the defense should completely fall off cliff, but it will to some extent. Uh, like the defense will drop off. So I, I think getting that extra offense out there will matter. The one thing that I kind of thought of as I'm thinking of ways to make these lineups work is now that Allen is out and you really do kind of need that screen setting, I wouldn't mind to see Isaac Okoro in that Bruce Brown type look where he's going out there because teams are going to put their weakest defender on him uh, because that's kind of the spot that you can park uh, those kind of defenders. Using Okoro as a screener for Garland and getting him downhill where uh, either Garland gets by and can create for himself or get the ball to Okoro on a cut because despite his usage being so low, his assist percentage is pretty good for someone that's that low usage. And we've seen him make good reads in those situations. 
And I, I really do think that you need to have a stronger body out there. I don't expect Evan Mobley to go out there and set screens to, to free Garland up. And when Kevin Love's out of the game, I do think that that might be a way to weaponize Okoro in ways that we haven't really been able to offensively this season. Well, one of the things that makes the Bruce Brown thing work in in Brooklyn is the fact that typically they're playing four or five at least s- semi-threats from three. Mm-hmm. Or I guess four, because Brown would be one of them, and he is not a threat right. from three. So, like, you know, having a guy like KD and LaMarcus Aldridge at the four and the five kind of make it a little bit easier. You can kind of use him as a screener and still be spaced elsewhere. So to that to that end, like... It's a lot more viable to use him in that role in this paradigm where you're only playing one non-shooting big. Right. Uh, when it when it's when it's Mobley maybe lurking in the dunker spot or in the corner. Mm-hmm. Or or in know, a double drag like he yeah, does. Lowry, Lowry, Lowry or or Love in the uh spacing and the opposite or maybe the strong side. Like there's a lot of there's a lot more space basically to, to do a, a weird one two inverted pick and roll. So yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah. Um I don't think Isaac's in between game is as good as Bruce Brown's right now offensively. No, if I'm if I'm calling a spade a spade, but yeah, it's one way. Like that is one benefit of of downsizing is you can you can kind of use your more limited players in, in unique ways, especially on the wing. So yeah, I don't I don't hate the idea. Ultimately, I just you know I'm just really excited to see what this team does. Um, mm-hmm. This is why this you stock up on big men. This is why you have Dean Wade sitting on the bench to come in and play legitimate rotation minutes. I do think they should add it. If they can add a 10 day guy like a Willie Collistein, I'd like it mm-hmm. just so you don't like, if you can steal 20 minutes at the five between Ed Davis and whoever you sign. Yeah. So, so, you know, Evan only has to play the other 28 at the five. Mm-hmm. Like that feels a little bit better to me. Uh, just from a insulating yourself from him wearing down. Plus, I mean, straight up foul trouble. Yep. Um, which he's more likely to get in now as the more as the primary rim protector. Mm-hmm. So that that's really what I want to see. But ultimately, like for the most part, like this team, and that's why I'm not that down. Like this team, uh, once they're healthy, once Levert and Rondo come back, they got the juice to yeah. win these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for, for me, I'm not down. I'm bitter and frustrated. Like I, I, I think they are. I think they're going to avoid the plan. Um, I, I feel pretty confident about that right now. It's just I, I really, and we talked about this on the last podcast. Like they are already at a disadvantage from a building chemistry standpoint going into the playoffs because they've just had so much roster turnover. There's there hasn't been a time to establish a rhythm and, and to just. Dis- establish a hierarchy within the available players and this is yet another setback like one at least Lavert and Allen have experience playing together in Brooklyn because they're probably not going to get a lot of experience together with the Cavs assuming that Jared Allen misses a, a few weeks here because there's just not much time left in the regular season so from that standpoint, it really is frustrating, but I, I do think that they are well positioned to avoid that play-in tournament, to, to go out there and, and still compete in these games. Uh, I think having Darius Garland obviously matters a ton. He, he's the most valuable player on this roster, but um, it, it's just, you know, it's one frustrating blow after another, and, and at some point, you just, you want 
a sustained stretch where the guys that you're rooting for are available and you can actually make assessments of the team because it's just like, even from a content standpoint with the podcast, like it's not that interesting to always be like, well, they're not healthy. Like there's only so many angles that we can look at this sort of thing without repeating ourselves. And, And that's frustrating for us. It's frustrating for our listeners. It's frustrating for everyone watching. Um, and there's really not a whole lot you can do about it. And I'm I'm just a little bit grateful. Uh, you messaged me during the Raptors game. I'm grateful that it wasn't more injuries than what actually happened because the Raptors play with some of that Delhi energy where I don't think it's dirty, but it's reckless at times. And they rolled up on the legs of Allen and Garland and Mobley multiple times that freaked me the hell out. So uh, I, I'm happy that at least it's no kind of real serious injury or, or lower body injury that might contribute to other issues, uh, whether it be this season or down the road. So that's at least a positive if I'm kind of looking at the the silver linings here. But man, that is a very, very physical team. And that was a really physical game. So obviously Toronto, I feel like we've had some really good battles with them this year. The Evan Scotty thing seems real. Yeah. The the general, you know, the the scar tissue from finals past, I think, is still there. Well, you know, there's not some, finals. They're, they're, or, I'm sorry, know. conference finals past um, and playoff series past. They're in the same conference, Justin. They, they, they can't play in the finals. Um, <laughs> do you, like, are they the, like the young team in the East that you're like kind of most hopeful to see a burgeoning rivalry? Because they kind of are my favorite team for the Cavs to play. It's such a such a styles make fights matchup to me. I don't know. Like I, I do want to see a series with both of these teams fully healthy. I, I do think it would be a really interesting matchup in terms of future rivals. I don't know if I can go all the way there because it's just a different dynamic when they're two best players are so much older than the Cavs core. Like, uh, they're going to have to make decisions on Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. I believe both are 28 years older around that. And that's different than if you look at a team like Atlanta or Charlotte um, that really kind of has a good young core that you can see growing. Uh, I think Scotty Barnes is terrific. I think OG Ananobi is a really, really good player. Like, I, I think... His absence is really going to make things difficult for Toronto as they kind of navigate this tough schedule. He's awesome. Um, he, he's so good. Like uh, that's that's one of those guys. Like when, when we talked about like all all the wings that we would love to add. Like that's probably obviously a, a tier below uh, some of the names we've mentioned. But and, and there's no reason Toronto would ever give him up. But that he's would be closing a, the gap. Oh my God, would he be perfect? Like that, that would be an ideal type fit. But uh, outside of that, like it, it, there's just, there's not a lot of other kind of prospects that feel like swing guys uh, that can kind of go either way. Like there's no Icicle Core or Colin Sexton where it's not necessarily part of your real core, but hey, uh, could, could blossom in, into a really good player down the road. Or in Colin's case, obviously, he's already proven himself to be a very good scorer. So I don't really think about them in that way, but I would like to see a playoff series against them uh, while they have this core together before they make whatever decisions they have to make on Van Vliet and Siakam. I just think so highly of Masai's ability to field a competitive team mm-hmm. that they're gonna. St- I think they're going to stay good yeah. while the Cavs are in this little mini run of their own. And I just love the differentiation between the Cavs who 
play really, really small on the perimeter and really, really big on the interior yeah. against this just mismatch 6, 8, just 6, 9. Everybody 6, 9, man. It doesn't just, matter if they just can't limbs. shoot. Just everyone 6, 9. And the Cavs are this awesome half-court defense team that kind of struggles to defend and transition and struggles on the boards. Mm-hmm. And Toronto's this team who can't score in the half-court but kills in transition and kills on the offensive boards. It just feels like such a battle for, like, the spirit of, like... It feels like that first game of the season and this past one is, like, a... Like, who like whose belief system is going to win? You know, mm-hmm. and like that's why I really, really like watching these teams play, and that's why I like, like I just feel like I'm always gonna look forward to Toronto matchups, even if they make me a little crazy when they win. Yeah, I, I, I think they haven't yet. Yeah, <laughs> good reminder. Um, I, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because, uh, and I mentioned this on the last podcast. I think when you cover one team, it's just kind of human nature to hyper focus on what you're doing and not really give credit where it's deserved and i think toronto is absolutely a team that's deserving of credit they're so well run and uh i i think that every time that they play the Cavs, outside of the one time where they had just everybody had covid and that wasn't their real roster um i i think it's very good for the Cavs, like just from a learning experience standpoint to go against a team that's that well coached that makes that many adjustments on the fly that plays that physically like I thought Garland had a okay game. Like I, I, I know you mentioned kind of some of the the brilliant things that he did and some of the passing, but there were times that he was legitimately flustered. Like you could tell he was getting frustrated with uh, how physical they were on him. I uh, like that he Chris Pauled Boucher. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, that dude was out of control, lunging around at him. And, and when you get trapped by two six nine guys, and you have three other ones that are kind of lurking to to pass and, and intercept your your outlet passes, like that is a very tough thing for him to overcome. And it would be a lot easier if he had a Colin Sexton or a Karis Levert or even a Rondo uh, as an outlet there. And sometimes it worked with Mobley, but then other times Mobley wasn't on the floor, and it was a little bit more difficult. I think learning to work through that kind of stuff is very important because. That's the type of stuff teams might do to to muck things up. Like I I, I joked or I didn't joke. Uh, I, I talked about how I hated the Warriors and how frustrating it was with the moving screens and whatnot in comparison to Philly. But the flip side of that was the Cavs were able to muck things up, where they were allowed to be very physical on Steph, and that was something that Steph had to work through and, and overcome. So I, I think Garland getting that experience is valuable. I think. Uh, you're completely right that it's a Styles makes fights type of situation. Uh, so I, I do think that those are the type of matchups that can really, really make a difference uh, in accelerating uh, the developmental curve for someone like Garland. I just love seeing two teams that are really good at defense, but in different ways. Like, you yeah. know, I, do you feel like this season, especially when the defense is cooking, when they are keeping them to the half court and playing sound and discipline? Did you kind of forget how fun defense can be? You know, like when they just can't get a good look off for like five, six, seven, eight. There was that there was that stretch where the, the Raptors came out of a quarter hot, then like went like one for 14. Mm. And it just feels so nice to put the clamps on a team. And like the way the Raptors do it on their side is just so different. And like, I just, I don't know, man. I just love that. I love these two teams. I love watching them play each other. I mean, maybe part of it is just my memory is so bad. Like, there just wasn't a lot of times, like, in the last it, decade where the Cavs were good. First Mike Brown era, and even then, it always felt like they were, like, 
I don't know. Like it felt like they were a great system. Like their their talent wasn't always there defensively. They just they had LeBron, who was an absolute freak at the time. Yeah, who could f- play free safety. And then everyone was just like everyone's just like else do your job. Yeah. Whereas this team, it's you've got Isaac, who one of the best point of attack defenders in the league. Like that's mm-hmm. super fun. You've got Evan and Jarrett just coming out of nowhere to swat shots and switch and like it you just feel the defense a lot more than you did in that first lebron era like it always felt like in the first lebron era when they had those great defenses under mike brown the great offenses would just still get theirs whenever they wanted Mm, yeah and and especially you could tell like when teams would go four out like the orlando magic there just wasn't the personnel or the ability to make adjustments uh, to to kind of counter that, I I think that's a really good point. Um, it is fun, and it shows just how intellectually dishonest I am to go from defenses for nerds to kind of enjoying this. But you know, like it's a whole lot more. Cool. Luckily, no one was ever worried about us being intellectually honest. <laughs> Hey, it's a whole lot more cool when Cleveland does it. I mean, Cleveland, uh, it just it makes things look cool. And uh, it is fun to build kind of your foundation on something that feels so sustainable like defense. And that's another part of why I'm frustrated with Allen being out is I felt like there was defensive slippage from this team uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and trying to get back to that level of consistency was really important. Like, I, mm. I thought they legitimately played very good defense against Philly. I know they put up 120 points, but some of that was just, you know, the three-point shooters you'd want taking shots, hitting a lot of shots. Uh, also, the grifting of free throws, and, you know, that's a very good offensive team with the MVP on it. Um, they're going to put up points, but just not getting the chance to really kind of reestablish that defensive identity right now is something that's frustrating, and... Um, I, I felt like it was important for them to get back to that and play 48 minutes or at least like 36 minutes of sustained high level defense was really, really important. And I, I just, I don't know if they can do that right now. Uh, I would love to see it. Like I'd love to see Levert come back and, and compete on the defensive end the way that he was his first three games with the Cavs. I'd like to see how Evan Mobley responds to this challenge and how everybody else steps up in, in these moments. But I feel like I'm underrating Lover in my brain right now because he had one really good game, a couple not so good ones, and then he wasn't there. And like I, I was just thinking to myself while we were recording, like this dude is like we, we just traded a first round pick for him, yeah. <laughs> a first and a, and a second, like that. Like that's a legit talent that we just haven't gotten to see. Like that, it's going to be really interesting to see him integrate himself into this team. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, there's going to be a bit of a vacuum of touches because Jared Allen is a very important part of what the Cavs do offensively. So they're going to need Karis LeVert to step up and to contribute. So I I think maybe that'll kind of help him regain some level of confidence, but you got to get him out on the court, right? So um, it it sounds like he's been close uh, where he wasn't ruled out right before uh, the game against Toronto. Um, with no games outside of this Indiana one um, until Friday, I think this is a good opportunity to let's make sure that it's completely right. Let's, you know, give him the rest that he needs. And when these games uh, come this weekend, because they've got a tough one here against Miami and Chicago, hopefully he's a a little bit more ready. And when you look at the way that Garland has come back 
after his time off. You just kind of have to have some trust in the Cavs medical staff that they're going to do the right things and they're not going to bring back someone too soon because the the nice thing about the way that the Cavs have played this season and the room that they've given themselves to to avoid the play in you can be a little bit careful. You can be responsible with guys and not force them into situations that might be risky to their long-term health and health this season. So I think that's important. Um, so looking at it now, Carter, uh, we got games against Indy, Miami, Chicago, and the Clippers. That's kind of our next seven days here. I'd be pretty happy with two and two over that stretch. I, I would really feel good about it. I'd love to steal one against Miami and Chicago, although a road back-to-back is a little bit tricky. Uh, we don't know what the status of Vucevic is going to be. We Honestly, we don't even know the status of Jaron Allen because uh, he's still getting further evaluations and a timeline hasn't been set, although I'm not holding my breath there. <laughs> uh, where, where are you at kind of with this upcoming stretch? I think 2-2 two and two is a good goal. Um, I think they should be able to beat the Clippers. It's funny. Do you sometimes forget that this team has a good record? Because like no. you, your 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 thing about saying ten of their eight final eighteen are against teams they have better records than. You just look at the schedule. You see a lot of big team names. You see Clippers. You see Lakers. You go, oh man, these are tough games. And you're like, we we're better than them. Yeah, like we've been better than these teams this season. So they should win these some of these games. Like, sure, they're not whole yet, but you know, like they are going to mostly be what they're going to be minus out. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I think two and two is perfectly reasonable goal. I think a stretch would be three and one. And you know, like if they, if they go one and three, then they're going to have to dig, you know, like I think if you're the Cavs, especially while Toronto is flailing a little bit, you kind of need to have this mentality of let's put an end to this. Let's Mm -hmm. win two or three of our next four and go up five games, six games on the play in. Um, yeah. and then you, then you can breathe a little bit again, but yeah. like, that's what I want to see. And I think two and two is a perfectly reasonable goal. Yeah. Like if you're talking about avoiding the play in, I, I think this is a perfect way to look at it. If the Cavs go 500, so nine and nine down the stretch in order for the Raptors to catch them, they would need to go 13 and five for a team that is currently in a slump. That's that's tough. Like, I don't know if they've had a 13 and five stretch all season. And again, there is that one game left against Cleveland as well. Uh, the, the fourth in that series. So if the Cavs win that, it's basically over. I, I, you know, it, it all depends on how long Jared Allen's out. If he's back by April, uh, I think that gives him, you know, two weeks to, to kind of get back into the swing of things and gear up for the playoffs. But, you know, if you go two and two here, all of a sudden the 16 games left, like the amount of games that you need to win to clinch uh, avoiding the plan just gets less and less and less. So uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting stretch. I think this game against Indiana is one that they probably should win, even without Jared Allen and no Karis Levert and Rondo being questionable for that game. I, I think they should go out and win it. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if they're able to kind of answer that call. And then, you know, they got two days off, which is nice. They they haven't had a lot of uh, extended stretches uh, of multiple days off. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Carter, do you have anything else to add before I wrap this thing up? Take us home, Justin. 
All righty then. Big thanks to everyone that tuned in on YouTube. Uh, I know uh, it's a little frustrating to to go through these stretches where you just want the Cavs to to get all the way back on track and get healthy. But you know what? This is what it's all about, man. The 82-game season is a damn marathon, and we appreciate you all for sticking with us. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you are listening via podcast, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cats.